Welcome back to the program. Let's pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy God, we love you and thank you and praise you for who you are and all that you've done for us. And Lord, I ask that you would give us grace and mercy. Help us to follow your will, follow your plan, discover and live your call for our lives. For Lord, you are our everything. Father, we want to live for you. Help us to get the most important things right in our lives. Lord Jesus, please come and shepherd us through this Lent. Holy Spirit, come and cleanse us and renew us. Uh, anoint us, Lord. Help us to have that sense of, of strength in our spirit so that we would um, know your will and follow your prompting. We make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lots to talk about today on the program. I'm going to share with you towards the end of the program some prayers that we're praying with our kids in this second half of Lent. The Lent began the second half on Monday, if you can believe it. And I heard a really neat homily on Sunday at St. Joan of Arc, Father Dennis Gordon, the pastor of St. Joan of Arc in Post Falls, was talking about uh, the two halves of Lent. The first half is more about penance, and the second half is more about perfection. And how both of those, um, both of those meanings, both of those meanings are connected with the same activities of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And I love that because it, it confirms how I've been talking about Lent. <laughs> so, I've talked about Lent as that journey in the desert. It's a journey from something, and it's a journey towards something. Right? It's a journey from a place of slavery. It's the journey out of Egypt, out of that place of spiritual bondage out into the desert. So think of the journey of the of the desert into walking away from. And so in the first half of the journey, you're principally walking away from some place, a place of slavery. But then once you reach the halfway point, you're now walking towards some place. You're now closer to your destination. The destination is the promised land. That's the place where we get to live as God's people because we've come into the inheritance of good things that God has for us. If you want to link it to that journey in the desert to Jesus, then we have that time of moving from the place of baptism, that place of uh, being cleansed of our sin, and then we are moving towards that place of proclamation. When Jesus comes out of the desert, he starts his public ministry proclaiming the gospel. So in our tradition, you've heard me say this, but just to kind of encapsulate it again simply, the two ways of describing spiritual works that involve um, penance, acts of self-denial, um, taking up your cross, those uh, kinds of activities, and insofar as they're connected to Lent and prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, where we are denying ourselves, saying no to self, we are restraining and restricting ourselves, we're extending ourselves in our relationship to God, that's prayer, fasting is when you're denying yourself, of course, and then almsgiving is extending yourself in loving ways, generous ways towards others. All of those activities you can put into two buckets. The first bucket is mortification. The second bucket is asceticism. These are both ways of describing the same set of activities, but from a different standpoint. Mortification comes from that root meaning of dying to self. So when we undertake these beautiful spiritual disciplines, they are meant to bring a kind of death to the self. 
right? Unless the seed dies, it won't bear much fruit. But if it does, then it yields an abundant. If it does die, it yields an abundant fruit. Unless you pick up your cross, renounce your very self and follow me. You cannot be my disciple unless you pick up your cross and follow me every day, right? These are all about dying to self. This is all about being conformed to Christ, crucified as an act of mortification, the putting to death of the flesh. The flesh are those fallen dimensions of our lives that get stimulated and stirred by the world and the devil. We know these things all too well. In the second half of Lent, though, remember now we've, we're moving from those urges that want to pull us back into slavery in Egypt, just like the Israelites are crying out, oh, why did you take us out here in the desert to die? I wish we could have our flesh pots in Egypt where we could eat the leeks and the onions and we could enjoy our slavery. Oh, we forget that it's slavery. We just remember the pleasures that are connected to that slavery. And isn't that way, isn't it that way regarding our sins? We only remember or think about the pleasurable aspect of sin. Yes, it is more pleasing to sin than it is to do virtue, at least at the start, at least for those who are still bound up in the flesh, doing what is uh, marked by human excellence, doing virtuous deeds um, are not easy. We're slow to do them until they live in us, and then they become easy, and they become joyful. They become something that is uh, quick. Um, and until then, though, it's difficult. It's something that we have to press and, and we find very hard to do. So putting to death these parts of our spiritual lives is very important. We put these things to death, and all of a sudden, we can come to see more clearly in accord with God's light, in accord with God's truth, in accord with God's plan, in accord with God. We just have the mind of Christ. We begin to see our own lives more clearly, like what's really important, what's re what really matters, what really matters in life. These are things that come through a cleansed perspective, a cleansed way of seeing things, and that is a gift from God. That is a work of God. We correspond to it. We help dispose ourselves to it. We move with God's grace through prayer, fasting, and almsgiving in order to die to self. That's the first half of Lent. And the second half of Lent, it's now about perfection. It's about growth in these spiritual disciplines. That's called asceticism. Asceticism is spiritual training in the spiritual disciplines. These are things that are going to augment. They're going to allow us to grow in the spiritual muscles connected to prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. So the first half was focused on mortification. You do acts of penance in order to cleanse yourself, be set free, find yourself less attached to those sinful habits or broken habits or wounding habits or habits that keep us bound up in sloth in a sense of spiritual laziness that makes us not value spiritual things but has the ways of the world so dominant and prominent in our lives. And so in the second half, it's about asceticism. It's about undertaking spiritual disciplines. Yes, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, but you can dial in on those more fully. And so under prayer, you heard me talk about silence, solitude, and simplicity as three ways, as three disciplines that you can grow in. And when you begin to exercise greater periods of silence, when you exercise a stepping away from uh, uh, other people in order to be alone with God. When you simplify your life, you turn off the television, stop streaming the media. When you 
strip down the context in which you're living to live a simpler life, guess what happens? There becomes a greater capacity for us to be aware of God. We grow in that awareness of God in our lives. And so, um, as we enter into this second half of the Lenten season, we should expect that the Lord is going to begin to give us a chance to taste, a chance to uh, participate in, a chance to connect more deeply to some of the spiritual actions that uh, uh, express asceticism, that express spiritual disciplines. One of them I'm going to share with you that is the source of my um, humiliation. Uh, you've heard me mention how I have reluctantly, begrudgingly, I wish I could say I did it more fervently, a request that my guardian angel humble me on a daily basis. But just once, please, guardian angel. Um, it has led me into a variety of very humbling situations. And so I'm not here to rehash the ones that have happened, but I need to explain the one that led to me not being on the radio yesterday. And had to do with two days ago. Two days ago, I was out uh, in a, um, a warehouse space that I have because I'm involved in what's called cryptocurrency mining. You've probably heard of Bitcoin and Ethereum and cryptocurrency. You might have heard about the use of energy to mine cryptocurrency and these sorts of things. It's something that I have studied for a couple of years and got involved in a couple of years ago and have progressively, slowly um, moved into in different dimensions. Well, one of these dimensions is getting some mining computers. I won't go into all of what it means, except that in monitoring them on Sunday, I realized, oh, goodness, um, that the, they're there's uh, one computer that went down. I, sh I should go and check on it. So I went out to the building and it was hot. The building was hotter than it ought to have been. I needed to vent some more heat. And there was a window high up in the warehouse of the building that it was unlocked, but it needed to be slid open. I couldn't reach it because it was probably 25 feet. Uh, uh, I, I, to be honest, I'm guesstimating 20, 20, maybe 20 feet up. And I couldn't reach it. There was no way for me to reach it. I didn't have a ladder. So I had two choices. I could um, go home and get a ladder and come back, but that would have been an hour round trip. And or I could have tried to maybe go buy another ladder, but that was another option I thought of. And then I said, well, you know what? I've got some stuff here, some boxes. I've got some like solid pieces of furniture. Why don't I just like stand up a little bit of a, Tetris puzzle here, and maybe I can climb up high enough to reach the window to slide it open. Yeah, this sounds like a really brilliant idea. And and yeah, you know where this is all going, right? Because inside of me, I, it was the same voice that you're probably saying to me, no, Tom, you did not try to do that. Do you realize how old you are? Do you realize that what you can do in your mind, you can't you necessarily do in reality? Your body and gravity are not going to cooperate and these boxes and pieces of furniture are not going to cooperate. Well, um, as I fell to the ground, I thought to myself, oh no, this can't be good. Um, hitting my head on the cement floor was the moment where I realized, yeah, this was not a good idea. I'm injured. And so I took stock of my total condition and got up and 
carefully said to myself, I need to get home quickly. (laughs) So I locked up everything and drove home and I got Carrie on the phone and I explained to her that I had fallen and from a height, not 25 feet, but I had fallen from, uh, you know, high enough uh, and hit my head, not, you know, directly on my head, but, you know, like fell, hit the ground and my head too. And I said, I think I have a concussion. Uh, I I think it was, no, I have a concussion. And it was not so bad that I couldn't drive home, but I said, keep me talking and just, you know, talk to me so I can make sure that I'm alert enough. And if I need to pull over, I'm going to pull over and you can help me with this. Well, I made it home, Um, but I knew that I was impacted. So I spent the better part of yesterday just recovering and making sure and just sort of testing uh, how badly I had hit my head. So um, thanks be to God, it wasn't so bad that I had any kind of like indications of a serious concussion. So praise be to God for that. But it was so humbling that how, like, how unintelligent can I be, really? I mean, Really, really, how unintelligent can I be? Well, I found out this morning, this is a Tuesday when I'm recording this, you're hearing this on Wednesday. Um, wait a minute, what's today? Yeah, today's Tuesday. <laughs> Maybe I did have a concussion. It was Tuesday. Yeah, t- this morning you heard a replay because I didn't record last night on Monday because of my head. It was still, uh, I was still not in a good enough condition to record. Be that as it may, this morning I had a, well, yesterday morning listening, I had a an appointment at the dentist because when I had hit the ground, my jaw had closed so snapped so strongly that I had, um, had knocked a filling out of the back tooth of my mouth and chipped a tooth and come to find out through the x-ray, fractured a tooth. So I now have a new crown. I, I'm, re- I'm receiving my crown this Lent, but not the crown I was anticipating, not the crown I was expecting, not the pr- crown I was hoping for, but crowning of humility. The Lord used in me what was uh, what was who I am, how I operate in this world to, to just make me realize, you know, that wasn't a very smart thing to do. However, There is a fascinating part to this story, and it has to do with the talk I was listening to on the way out to this warehouse where these mining computers are. And it was a talk on the Sacred Heart of Jesus and on honoring the Sacred Heart of Jesus and how we ought to live out the consecration to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And it didn't dawn on me until earlier today the way in which that talk was amazingly fulfilled in my fall and in the aftermath. How? I'll tell you in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern. It's great to be with you today. I'm sharing a humbling story from my Sunday night where I fell from a, I don't know, let's say, probably between eight and 10 feet, bumped my head, had a minor concussion. And 
Uh, anyways, it just kind of threw me off a bit. So um, I'm back. Praise be to God. And it, tons of lessons to share from this. Tons of lessons it the Lord used. But the first one was a fascinating one, and it was related to the talk I was listening to. It was a sermon um, on my way out to the facility, the warehouse where I was going and where I fell and bumped my head. Um, and it was about uh, expressing a deeper devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus and how we do this. We, we grow in our devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus by being willing to extend ourselves to join in acts by which we will help repair the damage, so acts of reparation, for the various forms of sacrilege that poor sinners are committing in this world and that leave them wounded or broken completely in their relationship to God. And so you've heard how, and he referenced this priest, um, the Fatima, uh, vis- uh, apparition of our Blessed Mother to the to the three shepherd children, two saints, and Sister Lucia, probably one day a saint, um, how when they had the vision of hell, they had the vision of people, men and women, falling like snowflakes into hell, and it was so frightening, terrifying to the children that um, the Blessed Mother had to comfort them, give them a vision of heaven, and it still left such an impact on their lives when they had asked the Blessed Mother, why did these souls fall like snowflakes into hell? And her answer was, because there are none to pray for these poor sinners that are near to death but far from God. They, there are none to do penance and to make reparation for their sins. And this was a like a, not just a seed sown in their hearts, this was like a, a sword that pierced their hearts, and each of them become passionately involved in acts of penance and reparation for, or on behalf of, poor sinners. So remember now, in the first part of the program, I was talking about, the first half of Lent is about being uh, freed from, right, putting to death, mortification, the attachments to the slavery in Egypt. But the second half is about growing in perfection, growing in spiritual disciplines that will lead us to a greater usefulness to God for the salvation of souls. And this concept of spiritual solidarity is a very important one. Spiritual solidarity is where we are drawn into relationship with those whom the Lord puts on our hearts and in our lives to say, I will have not only for you, a sense of caring for them and what happens to them. I'll have for you even more than simply a sense of a burden to pray for them. I will have for you a a graced invitation to open your life, to be drawn into acts that will help rescue, heal, set free, bring salvation to their lives. Did you hear that? Part of what God might do to your life, part of what the Lord might invite you to have happen as part of your own journey in life, hear this, is as you're growing in in your own spiritual disciplines, is the Lord by prompting you a generosity to say, Lord, I, I, I make my life available, but please heal this person. Use my life 
to bring healing to this person, to bring protection, salvation, good gifts, uh, purification. Lord, I want this person free. I do not want this person stuck in spiritual bondage here, harassed by the demonic there, and I don't want them to end up in hell. Does that live in you? Does that make any sense when I say that to you? Does that desire have any part in your mind or in your heart? Who in your life do you have this sense of saying, I, I would suffer for that person. I would give up. I would make great sacrifices. I would, be, I would, I would undergo penances. I would make acts of reparation if only they would be set free. Lord, please, if, if you would make my life useful to you, even if it involves my suffering, and it'll be used by you to help cooperate in their coming to mercy, their receiving a prompting of grace, their receiving a supernatural intervention, their experiencing a sense of, of life, then I say to you, um, who wouldn't be part of that? Who wouldn't want to be part of that incredible, that incredible gift? Well, that's what I see in the saints. That's what I see in uh, saints Francisco and Jacinta. You know, I see that, that, that incredible I, Archbishop Fulton Sheen. You, you may remember the story. He tells it. He humbly shared the story of riding on a train and having this prompting in his own mind or his own conscience that there was a, I, I believe it was a Jewish man whom he had this like inspiration to say, the Lord was saying, are you willing to suffer for him to come to faith? Are you willing to be drawn into my, the Lord's, my work of bringing redemption to his life? My work involves the cross, going from cross to resurrection. Are you willing to participate in the cross on his behalf? in his place, for his sake. Are you willing to do that? And Archbishop Francine said, yes. And stepping off that train, he broke his leg. He broke his leg. And he interiorly made the connection. Interiorly, he made the connection between his broken leg and the suffering, the pain, and then the suffering that that brought to his life and the yes that he had said on the train to be willing to undergo a cross, a suffering in solidarity with this other dear soul, that that dear soul would come to faith. Okay, there's my story. So what is interesting about the injury that happened to me on Sunday night was that I pray every day by name, I remember him in my rosaries every day, and I receive communion for him every time, calling him by name in my mind as I approach the Lord in Holy Communion. And I say, Lord, I receive for him. I, I pray for him, this rosary. I receive communion for him and his blessing. And there's a reason why. He suffered a serious concussion so bad that he's unable to get into a car and to drive to Mass. Just the very act of him driving to Mass 
the car, just the shaking of the car, even though you think cars don't shake, in his condition, car shakes. And he would be down and out for a couple of days, just having to lay in bed in the dark and unable to, to talk or really process anything because of the extensive nature of the recovery involved in his concussion. And so whenever I talk to him, I ask him, how are you doing today? How's it going? And I just remind him that I'm praying for him, receiving communion for him. And what's what one of the things that's interesting about this is that he'll say, you know, I, I, I can almost tell because my day, I feel like a little bit lighter. I have a little bit of a better day when I know that you and then I guess there's some others who are also doing these kind of acts to be a support to him. And I was listening to this talk on the Sacred Heart and the willingness to be available to the Lord in more generous ways to undergo suffering, to clear away the path for blessings to reach other people's lives. And are you willing to give yourself over to that? And I'm like, yes, I want a heroic life. Yes, I want an amazing, generous life. I don't want to waste my life just living in little ways. Lord, I'm all in. Give me big ways. And within an hour, I bumped my head. Now, God didn't cause me to fall. <laughs> God used my lack of intelligence, my lack of prudence, my lack of thinking. And he said, I'm going to use this. I'm going to use this for my glory. And I'm going to use this to be a blessing to others. So I share that story about the humbling, really, really not very wise thing that I did. Um, and, um, and and I, I want to just kind of weave a tapestry out of it and just share with you openly and honestly and just say, wow, look, whatever the case was, the Lord used it. The Lord exercises a lordship over it, and he um, is going to use it for his glory that, you know what, he just might ask something of you today that he hasn't asked before. He just might ask something of you today that is more than you ever imagined. And that might involve a willingness and openness to suffer on behalf of others, for their sake, in their place, on their behalf, for their sake, in their place, on their behalf. It's a Christ-like way of living that says, Lord, I make all of my life, not just my prayers, not just my good thoughts, but all of my life available to you, Lord, in this time of perfecting me in this Lenten journey. Lord, I want to be usefully used by you on earth for the sake of your glory, for the sake of salvation for others. So, Lord, if that means I suffer, let it be so. If that means I get drawn into trials, let it be so. If that means I get drawn into the cross, ah, that's the path to salvation. Maybe not for me, but maybe for others. That, that's a Lenten call. And you know what? I'm not saying go climb a ladder and fall off. I'm not saying, I'm not saying do imprudent things, but I am saying if you get stirred, if you get inspired this Lent to say, Lord, I got one life to live. I'm at this certain age and stage in my life. I'm willing to let my life be useful to you in ways that I just hadn't really thought about. I just want you to be known and loved. I just want your mercy and your grace to reach people's lives. 
come on, I know, I know that I'm talking to people. You've got loved ones that are far from God. You've got loved ones that are living in stuck, broken circumstances. You've got loved ones. Maybe it's your spouse. It's like, Lord, when is he going to wake up in the spiritual life? Lord, when is he going to become the spiritual leader of the home? You've got children, and you're like, God, please, how are that? how is that person going to be broken from this relationship, this way of looking at her own self, this 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 sense of, of rebellion or self-hatred or or, or just broken sinful decisions and relationships, right? All of this stuff. You have loved ones that you want to see protected from harm and danger, loved ones you want to see advancing in growth and holiness. What are you willing to do? What are you willing to be available to have happen to you? And, and trust, trusting the Lord, right? trusting the Lord, he's got you. Because I, I gotta, I really gotta let you know that one of the big things that Kerry said to me, and that I said yes, amen to, was not, wow, why didn't guardian angels swoop down and preserve you from hitting your head? But thanks be to God, you were so mercifully treated by not hurting yourself in a much worse way. Because the, the way I fell and the, the actual physical location that I was in, that could have been a lot worse, way worse than it was. And so when I come away from that like disturbing, humiliating thing that I did and that happened to me, that I'm saying, Lord, use it spiritually— is that he again is showing his faithfulness, his mercy, his kindness to me. I, come on now, think about it. If you had to say, how many times did the Lord preserve you from really bad things happening in your life? Like really horrible things happening that you know, I call them you know near misses spiritual near misses think of your teenage years your college years think about times when you were driving in the road or walking in the road or you know events that you just showed up a, a, a seconds early or seconds uh, afterwards and you were treated with incredible mercy being preserved from mere misses or and we we maybe pay less attention to this that something bad happened but it could have been so much worse we have no idea what we missed out on how much worse it could have been might have been ought to have been had it not been for the lord's mercy at work and so when I think about what happened in, in Carrie, she's like, I just thank you, Lord, for protecting my husband because it could have been so much worse. And so uh, as I'm coming up against a break, uh, I share this with you to say we have so much to give glory to God and praise to God for regarding the mercy of near misses. And it leads me actually to the next topic. The next topic has to do with, there are near misses that happen 
with regards to here on earth. But there's one situation that is not just about a near miss. It's about everything or nothing. It's about heaven or hell. I'll talk about that in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. So there are things that it's okay to be wrong about that don't have a lot at stake. Um, so for instance, I talked about thinking that, oh, it's probably not a bad idea to try to stack these boxes and be able to test if I can make it up higher in that building and then falling and bumping my head. And by the mercy of God, I was rescued. And yeah, I bumped my head, but it could have been a lot worse. So there was something at stake and the Lord mercifully was able to rescue me from that. But when it comes to bigger things where there's more at stake, you don't want to get those things wrong. So there are, have you ever seen in the back of churches, like little pamphlet racks, which will have sort of little booklets about different aspects of faith? Well, my daughter Liliana showed up at Mass on Sunday with a little booklet. And the one that maybe I wish she had shown up with was How to Converse with God by St. Alphonsus de Liguori. Now, that's a nice one, How to Converse with God. It's all about prayer. How do you have a contrite and humble heart? How do you uh, sanctify every day? How do you, um, why have you loved me? Right. So these, the paradise of God, every moment of every hour, right? the God of salvation. These are nice chapter headings. How to converse with God. It's beautiful. It's a little shiny pamphlet written by a great saint, a doctor of the church. Well, that's not the one she showed up with. She showed up with uh, another one written by a saint, also a doctor of the church, St. Robert Bellarmine. And this pamphlet, that, this little booklet, it is um, one of four sermons that he taught, he, he gave, um, on the four last things. So the four last things, right? it's that branch of theology called eschatology, which deals with the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Death, judgment, heaven, and hell. These are the final realities insofar as it involves our lives here on earth and then moving beyond our life on earth to, uh, to our forever condition. And if they turned one of these into a booklet, and I'm bringing it up during this program, <laughs> my nine-year-old girl showing up, which of the four themes, which of the four sermons do you think this one was the one, uh, was the one that they captured? Yes, it was about not death, no, not judgment, no, not even heaven. It was the one about hell. And the title of this booklet is Hell and Its Torments. Hell and its torments. And I'm thinking, my nine-year-old girl <laughs> is reading this booklet at church. Well, I decided to, to look it over uh, afterwards. And you've heard me joke, not joke, sorry. You've heard me mention Preparation for Death by St. Alphonsus de Liguori, which is an amazing book, right? It brings up so many powerful and important truths about really the, again, the most important day of your life, the day you die, because that's that has the most at stake, right? The final exam 
you know, in, in a course, if the final exam wasn't just weighted to cover 20% or 30% or 50% of your grade, but if your entire grade, your entire grade, pass or fail, was dependent upon the final exam, how much attention would you be paying to what was on the final exam? getting ready for the final exam, not being caught off guard on the date that the final exam would take place. And if the final exam had a um, rule written into it that said the teacher could approach you anytime, day or night, knock on your door, you open the door, and there, in that moment, you had to take the final exam for the course. And your entire grade for that course depended on it. How about this? What if your entire degree depended on it? And all of a sudden you say, well, wow, <laughs> I would not want to be caught off guard. I would definitely want to be prepared at any moment for that knock on the door, open the door, and there's my professor saying, it's time for the final exam. Okay, you, you see where all that's going. And hey, that's not that, it's not that scary. But when we, you know, when you talk about failing a course or even not getting a failing a an entire college program, which you know is unrealistic, but what's at stake in our lives is our eternity. What's at stake in our lives is our forever. What's at stake in the moment that we die is how we will spend our eternity, and so that's one of those things that you just don't want to get wrong. It's one of those things that you don't want to let remain on the sidelines of your awareness of your alertness associated with it and in terms of being prepared right being prepared so i don't want to get too dramatic but when i fell if i fell and, and maybe hit my head the uh, the wrong way in a different way there's probably a percentage of how i fell that could have been fatal. Uh, maybe that's being a little dramatic, maybe not. Um, but on the way home, driving the car, you know, any one of us driving the next day, how many times do we hear about the unexpected, tragic loss of a life that was not something anybody planned, um, anybody was ready for, but it happened. And when I think about that, I think about, I don't want to get this wrong regarding not only my own salvation, where I will end up forever, but where everybody else will end up forever. And there, there's a beautiful bit of wisdom in our tradition that you'll see in great spiritual writers who do the following thing. They help you have a loving concern for everyone by focusing your loving concern on someone. Let me build that out a little bit. In order for you to have a love of your neighbor, even the love of your neighbors who are enemies, Aquinas would have you focus on your own family. Not that your family is your enemy, <laughs> but rather that the most natural place where we will find a sense of affection 
and openness, of care and concern, and of a willingness to invest ourselves for their good is with those who are nearest and dearest to us, our own family members. Makes sense. And what Aquinas says, and not only Aquinas, but if you can take a look at other spiritual writers, and they are attempting to emphasize this sense of having a care for everyone, having a a sense of, here's the word, solicitude, having a sense of urgent attention and, and focused commitment on somebody is drawing out of the natural sympathy, compassion, and energy that we have to love well, to provide, protect, and lead our loved ones. So I I think there's something very beautiful and powerful there when I think about the the concept of hell, and I read what St. Robert Bellarmine said. It's frightening. And, And honestly, it it took him till the end, almost like the last page, to get where I normally begin in terms of what I find so terrifying about hell. He he spends great lengths um, going into the, the theological aspects of the kinds of sufferings that um, occur in hell and how it is that someone ends up in hell. And then it's only really on the last page where he talks about the fact that this is going to go on forever. And that's the part that I begin with, is the unending quality of it. And so it's something that makes me say, do you realize what's at stake? And like, why is it that important? How much money we have? What kind of house we live in? What kind of car we drive? What kind of clothes we wear? What kind of position we have in this world? What kind of uh, visibility, notoriety, uh, power? Um, uh, what kind of stuff we get to do here on earth when in the end, does it really matter? Really? Does it really matter? If you consider it in the light of the ultimate end of things and the ultimate end of our loved ones, I one of the things that I talk about when it comes to uh, my kids' lives is does, does it aid them in their sanctification? Is it going to help them grow in holiness? Is it going to prepare them for a life where they strive to live in accord with God's purpose? And that's a great place to start. It's a great place to just stop and look in this Lenten season and just say, in the light of eternity and the eternal condition that we and our loved ones will be in forever, let that shine a light on the priorities that we have for our kids right now. I'll pick up on this in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. So I'm reflecting with you guys right now on, well, the ultimate end of things, which is um, I want my kids to go to heaven. I want, I want to go to heaven. I want to be with the Lord. I want, uh, I want all of you to go to heaven. I want everyone to go to heaven. I want anyone and everyone who has ever lived to go to heaven. And it's interesting because one of the reasons why I want them to go to heaven is that I don't want them to be in hell. I don't want anyone to suffer 
the terrifying torments of hell in an unending way. What a horror. And so allowing that thought to like live in our minds a little bit, it changes things. It changes our evaluation of things. So let me let me give you one application. And it's one that you've heard. If you listen to me and, and Carrie talk about family and uh, on Sound Insight on Faith and Family. Um, and so, well, for instance, it was the underlying reason for us to move here. We, we left the west side of the state and we moved here because we felt like it was going to give our kids a better chance to live lives that were less infected and impacted by the world, the flesh, and the devil, by the toxic environment in which they were living, by the um, often experience of faith that was compromised and cowardly, that was not convicted, courageous, and willing to stand up and push back against the accepted and comfortable trends that were widely disseminated. We were looking for spiritual fathers and leadership that would be courageous, convicting, and challenging uh, for us and for our kids, and having other families willing to walk that same path. And, and that's been a real gift to us. But why is that important? Well, it's important in light of eternity. It's important in the light of forever. It's in the, important in the light of what really, 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 really in the end matters. But uh, one thread in that was also sports. And I, I have the wonderful gift of coaching my daughter's junior high basketball team. <laughs> no, it's just junior high basketball. It's sixth, and, sixth to eighth grade and having a fun season. And one of the things I told parents, and you might have heard me talk about this on a program, was that no one's going pro. And so, you know, and, and I know parents, you, your kids are gifted at sports and gifted at basketball, but no one's going pro. So let's just... Let's, let's relax a little bit and let's give everybody a chance to play and let's learn to love the game and learn to help each other to become better players and, and all of that. And one of the things that I put in there next to no one's going pro is that even if there was one who could go pro, I wouldn't want that for that person. I would not want that. wouldn't want that person to go pro. Think about... Think about very famous people whose lives have been ruined and destroyed by what the world lifts up as being worthy of honor and esteem, fame, riches, and power. Those things get applauded, get elevated before our attention as people to be honored people to be acknowledged, people to be esteemed, is that they're famous. Famous for what? Famous because they're good at singing or playing an instrument or part of a band or uh, because they can act and they have become famous because of participation in a movie or a TV show. Fame. How much has fame helped people? Has it really helped them in the things that really matter. And then you could take that and, and apply it to uh, athletics as well. Say they were really good at hitting a ball with a stick uh, or 
shooting a ball into a round rim 10 feet off the ground or kicking a ball into a net and and describe you know when you describe a sport and down to its basic things kicking a ball running a ball with the ball throwing a ball like does this really matter this is really important in the light of eternity it's just not important and in fact when you think about what it is that advances one and elevates one and allows one to enjoy and uh excel and uh, uh, experience to the greatest extent possible the reality of heaven it has almost nothing to do with those things in fact those things are much more likely to be a hindrance than a help much more likely to tear down than to build up much more likely to hold people back than advance people forward and um and so while fame and power and riches, again, we could go into riches and power. You think of, has political power helped people grow in holiness? Has worldly power helped people become saints? What about riches? Is it that the richer you become, the more holy you become? And you think of what Jesus has to say about those who are in power, those who have riches, uh, those who get elevated before people's minds and through their fame as people worthy of being honored. Uh, you know what? Jesus, he talks about striving after the Lord and his kingship over their lives for the kingdom of God. Striving for the Beat life of the Beatitudes does not look a lot like a life that is marked by fame, power, and riches. And yet, and yet, and yet, we continue to pursue those things for our kids, want those things for our kids or our own lives. And in the light of hell and its torments, by St. Robert Bellarmine, Preparation for Death, St. Alphonsus Liguori, uh, in the light of the gospel. Oh my goodness, Jesus in his parables about the guy with the big grain bins who had to build more bins and eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. Jesus calls him a fool. You fool, this night your soul will be demanded of you and what good will all those riches do for you now? Uh, the rich man and Lazarus had all the riches and power and uh, had acknowledgement and all these things and he ends up in hell. And it's the, the man who is despised and rejected and considered, um, considered uh, someone cursed by God who is elevated to the highest place in heaven, the bosom of Abraham. And so Jesus in this parable is putting into question what it is we think is really important. So in Lent this year, I have been doing more reflecting on the ultimate things. What really matters to God is your holiness. You're loving Him, knowing Him, hoping in Him, living for Him, telling others about Him, not being afraid to speak up on the truths that you have come to know that He has revealed. Truths like male and female, He created them. Marriage is, is to be between a man and a woman. That Jesus Christ is true God and true man and the Savior of the world. That, well, what matters is our holiness, not fame and power and riches. And that in the end, if we fail to take action that we could have taken to preserve and protect our kids and our family from the infectious, toxic, poisonous effects that this world is sowing into our kids' lives, then we too will be held to account. 
We're going to be held to account for that which we knew, that which were, was entrusted to us, that which we could have known on the things that uh, were available to us to take action. We will be held to account. And I feel that. Do you feel that? I feel that. It, 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 I carry it. Not as a, like a, a burden that makes me uh, like dour, makes me uh, feel uh, sad. No, I, I carry it as a sense of stewardship, a sense of entrustment, a sense of, Lord, you can count on me. Lord, I, I desire to serve you. Now, I know how desperate I'll be because I'll face powerless situations. I know that I'm going to face the failures of me forgetting these things, settling for less and falling short. Yes, all those things will be true, Lord, but, but Lord, I want this. I want this more than anything. I want to know you and love you and serve you well. I want to be a leader, provider, and protector for my wife and my kids well. I want to proclaim you with every ounce that I, of energy I have, with every bit of life that is within me, and I want to help others do the same. I want to help rescue families who have teenagers and young adults who are in the fire and whose kids' faith is being eviscerated. I want to help. I want to help these families get to a healthy place, a better place. Because there's so much at stake in their action or inaction right now. And I want to do what I can to help, help you, dear brothers and sisters in faith, take good action. Healthy, holy action for your own lives and for your family's lives. We can do this together. Let's make a commitment to do that. There's too much at stake. Too much at stake for us not to. All right, I'm up against the end of my program. I do pray God's blessings on the day. Say a prayer for me from my head that, I, that it's all better. And uh, join me tomorrow for more Sun Insight. God bless you, guys.